Week four of Storyteller, our summer-long look at the parables of Jesus. Each week we're looking at a, a different parable along the way, uh, looking at the stories that, that Jesus told using common images of uh, their day, connecting people's lives and their hearts with spiritual truth. Uh, we said all along the way that these are earthly stories with heavenly meaning, and this week's parable is the parable of the talents, Matthew 25, 14 through 30, a story about a boss and his employees and their behavior while he's away. I can't help but ask all of us if you can relate at all. When your boss is away, how do you behave? I'm not trying to convict you this early on, but when your boss is away, how do you behave? How does the the temperature around the office start to feel? Does it kind of loosen up a little bit? When your professor is away and a grad assistant is behind the desk, what happens in the classroom or what's your attention level when your parents aren't looking or when parents go out of town? I know, I know that nobody in here has ever thrown a party when mom or dad were away. Uh, this parable is about faithfulness. It's about loyalty uh, to God until Jesus returns. It's about faithfulness. So when I was in high school, uh, for two summers, I was a lifeguard at a water park. I was the man. I was 16 years old and they gave me a whistle. I could blow at people and tell them what to do. Uh, it was a, a massive water park with just thousands of people would come through every day. There's slides and bunches of pools and a wave pool and waterfalls. And it's a pretty crazy place, pretty insane. And as a lifeguard, you go through your training and then you have to kind of stay on top of your training. And then throughout the way, you'd have managers, supervisors come. And while you're looking at a pool, they would come. You didn't realize it, but they'd be looking right over your shoulder. And it was very important that you were doing your job uh, well. I think that's kind of obvious. Uh, the problem was, being a lifeguard, there were a lot of young punks, not me, but a lot of young punks who got the job so they could show up and pick up girls. And they didn't last very long because the managers found that out. And the other big reason why they didn't last very long was because of this thing that we called the silhouette. Now, the silhouette was this piece of heavy material that was cut out into the silhouette of a a person's body. And it was heavy and it would sink to the bottom of the pool. And if you didn't know, you would look and think that there was somebody at the bottom of the pool. It was really insane. And so what would happen was periodically supervisors would jump into this busy, crowded pool into their, you know, just the regular bathing suits, not the short, short red ones. And they would just jump into the pool with the silhouette rolled up really tight and tucked under their arm. And then they would just kind of discreetly drop it. And if you didn't rescue the silhouette within 40 seconds, you're fired. Because that would have been a real person. And let me just say that there is nothing more horrifying and simultaneously more humiliating than rescuing the silhouette. Imagine, and this happened once, imagine sitting on a lifeguard stand and you look and there's something like a body at the bottom of your pool and you think, I miss this, and you blow your whistle three times and you jump in the pool and you just David Hasselhoff it, you just go to the bottom and you emerge and the whole crowd is just dead silent watching you rescue as you come through the top of the water. This big sheet of something. It's humiliating and horrifying. Embarrassing but essential. Because the truth is, 
It's if we didn't have supervisors looking over our shoulder, if we didn't have the silhouette periodically dropped on us, we would have started to slack off and maybe talk to some ladies. Uh, But because they did that, we stayed on our toes. And people tend to slack off when the boss is away, unless, of course, you have a strong relationship with your boss and you know your boss to be really, really good. And Jesus' story that we look at here in Matthew chapter 25 is about a boss who goes out on a journey and we get to look at his employees and we get to see, are they going to slack off? Are they going to be faithful to their boss while he's away? And ultimately, this parable is calling us to faithfulness to our master, the Lord Jesus. He's a good and perfect, great, wonderful Master, who we should just gladly submit our lives to. Look with me at the opening verse, uh, verse 14 of Matthew chapter 25. He says, For it will be like a man going on a journey. Now, what is the it that Jesus is talking about here? Look back up to verse 13 to get a little context. It says, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. So, what is the it that Jesus is talking about here? He's talking about a day and an hour that we should be watching for. He's talking about the day when Jesus will return and we get to see him face to face, that God became a man, Jesus of Nazareth, that he lived perfectly, undeserving of the wage of sin, which is death, yet he died. He laid down his life. You know the story of the cross. He died brutally as our death payment, as our substitution for our sin. But death has no hold on God, so he resurrects to life, and he appears to his people for 40 days, showing, I am alive, undeniable. And then, just before ascending, going away on his journey, ascending into heaven, he calls his people to a mission. He says, you have a job to do, to be about my work, making disciples. And then he goes out, he ascends into heaven, and he promises to return again. And that's what we are to be waiting for. That's the it that we're waiting for, the day that we see him again. Either because we go to be with the Lord, we pass, and we see him face to face, or because he returns for us and we don't see death. But we are to be watching, waiting, and working faithfully. Now, let's keep reading. Verses 14, and we'll go through 18. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents at once um, went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. So Jesus says that day that we will see him face to face, it's going to be like a master who goes out on his journey and he has entrusted to his servants, to his employees, some of his property. Specifically, five talents to one servant, two talents to another servant, and one talent to another servant. And a talent was a monetary unit equal to approximately 20 years worth of work for a common laborer. So let's just kind of try to compare that to today to give us a little bit of perspective. Uh, So today, let's say $15 an hour for a common laborer, uh, 2,000 hours uh, per year, Incorporate into that uh, two weeks of vacation, that's $30,000 a year, times 20 is $600,000. That's one talent, $600,000. So servant number one, five talents. 
$3 million. Servant number two, two talents, $1.2 million. And servant number three, one talent, $600,000. Nonetheless, that's a lot of value entrusted to these guys. And it's kind of a big deal. Now, the master goes away. And what do we see here is the response of these employees, these servants. We see that servant number one with the five and servant number two with the the two, they did a little trading with their talents. They get a banker involved, maybe they start a a business, but somehow we know the bank's involved, and they turn a profit. Five for five and two for two, they double their, their talents. That's pretty good work. This week was extremely hot. My little boys started their own little business. They, uh, they put a little table out front, got some uh, iced tea, and, and started selling iced tea. My wife hooked them up a little bit, went on Facebook, and said, the boys are selling iced tea. People from the church started driving over. They were amazed. They started, they started making money. It was really good. They, they did something with what they were given. They made the best of the opportunity, and they made a little money. And my son went out and bought a, a, a new book. It was pretty cool. Now, servant number three, though, his story is a, it's a little bit different. Servant number three thinks, okay, I've got just one talent. I better bury it. I got I to gotta do something. I got to bury it. And now burying this talent, would, it would do two things. First of all, it would protect it from thieves. So it was not uncommon that day to, to, you know, you didn't have a safe deposit box. Uh, what you would do is you would bury your, your, your stuff if it was valuable to you, and so thieves wouldn't come along and steal it. So one, he's protecting it from thieves. And two, catch this, by burying his talent, he's not letting the bank get involved, and so it doesn't go on the books of the bank. This way, just in case the master never comes back, guess who gets to keep the talent? Servant number one, shady, isn't it? But for the other guys, it went on the bank books so that if the master comes back or doesn't come back, the family gets the money. So what does this reveal about the heart of servant number three? It reveals who he's loyal to. It reveals to who he's, he's faithful to. That's why if you go forward a little bit in verse 26, the master calls him a wicked and slothful servant. Now, I met a lady uh, back in April who she went on a trip. She led a bunch of Northeastern students, catch this, to a sloth reserve. <laughs> I'm like, really? There's such a thing? She says, yeah, in some of these countries, sloths, you know, they get labeled, you know, as terrible creatures because they're slothful. And so I went to a reserve to care for these sloths that people were hurting. <laughs> like, All right, that's cool. So I love the sloths, but we don't really love the slothful servant here. He's just lazy. He's wicked. And he's, he's working against his master. And so what we need to begin to do is we need to begin to see and start to identify how do we tend to relate to the, the slothful servant. From one extreme to the next, from full-on working against our master to maybe just not making the most of what God has entrusted to you. And so I want to start by looking at the slothful servant, the negative first, and I want to end on a good note and look at the, the faithful servant, the positive. And so the slothful servant. Now, in order to identify with the slothful servant, um, what we need to do is we need to think about what has been entrusted to you and to me. Because we're going to look at the slothful servant, we're going to see how he abused what God entrusted to him, and we need to start to identify, okay, what has God entrusted to me? 
And so as we often do here, we're going to go back to the book of Genesis. You don't have to flip there. We'll put it on the screen. Genesis chapter 1, uh, verses 27 through 31. It's so foundational for who we are and our faith. And so Genesis chapter 1, uh, 27 through 31 says this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and, give me that word, multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seeds in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Now, verse 27, we have God finishing up his last and crowning creation, mankind. He's made everything, and then he makes mankind. And it says that he made mankind in his what? In his image. He made mankind in his image. So we are uh, made in the image and likeness of God. We are his representatives on this earth. And as his representatives, he has given to us Every living thing on the earth, it says, so that we can subdue it, we can have dominion over it, and we can multiply what he has entrusted to us. We are his representatives. We are his managers, as other parables of Jesus will say. And let's think about, okay, what is every living thing? Really, let's start to identify. What is every living thing that he has entrusted to us? That would include your body. That would include your mind. That would include your giftings, whether it's the arts or writing or literature or numbers or athletic capability or just ingenuity. That would include uh, children as you start to have descendants. Psalm 127, children are a gift of the Lord. It talks about this is given to us. Plants, animals, resources, that we're to steward them well. We're not to be careless with the environment. Uh, Flowing out of that. Uh, or, or maybe some more common things, our minds that we have been given, it's living, our mind leads to technological advances, our, our bodies lead to uh, contemporary versions of physical labor, uh, plants obviously for food, but also now for, for medicine, lumber to build homes and really big homes historically speaking, uh, natural resources that lead to creative forms of, of energy, all these things somehow for, for us work out together for financial gain. And so all of your your personal possessions, all of this really flows out of these living things that God has created. And these things are our talents. Talking about our talents given to us ultimately from the Lord, as it says in Genesis 1 there, that he has given these things to us, entrusted to us from the Lord. So it's not just, hey, give you a little gift, here's a lollipop. He's entrusted, which means it's something very valuable that I am entrusting to you. Now, let's be careful not to be misled by the word given, both in Genesis chapter 1 and in Matthew 25, 15. Yes, he, he gives talents to his workers and to us. However, look at the end of verse 18 of Matthew 25. To be clear, it says that this is his master's money. So yes, he's given it to us, but ultimately it is 
his master. Psalm uh, 89 verse 11 emphatically declares that the heavens, God, are yours. The earth is also yours. The world and all that is in it, uh, you have found. It's all his, right? We manage his stuff, and he allows us to enjoy it along the way. Now, let me ask us this question. How would you live differently if you had this perspective regularly in focus, that it's all his? How would that cause you to live a little bit differently? It probably cause us to live quite a bit differently. It's, it's his. I'm driving somebody else's car, right? You ever borrowed somebody's car? Really nice one. Remember the first time I drove my father-in-law's Lexus? Oh, my gosh. This is not a Nissan Sentra. <laughs> this is crazy, you know? It's all his. But here's what happens. Time happens. We have these moments of clarity. Maybe you're even in the midst of it right now. Yes, it's all his. I'm reminded of that. But then time passes and we start to forget it's his. And we start to lose focus. It's his. I have a confession I need to to make here. In preparing to teach for um, today, I was reminded about something. I was reminded about this. It's a uh, sweatshirt. Pretty nice, huh? Well, it was, it was nice back in the earlier part of the millennium. Um, you will notice it's a camp sweatshirt. It says, Cruz Kids, Santa Cruz, California. Here's my confession. Never been to Santa Cruz, California. Borrowed this from my uh, roommate in college. And uh, I still have it. My confession is that I borrowed it. I didn't intend to steal it from him, but I just kind of acquired it. You know, it's been over a decade now. <laughs> it's been a long time, and it, you know, over time, things just start to seem like, well, it's mine, right? You do that with CDs sometimes. You borrow CDs or a DVD, and you're like, it's been like 15 years. <laughs> That's mine. Does that mean it's mine? No, it's not mine. It's not my sweatshirt. Look at, look at verse 19. Look at verse 19 in Matthew 25. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts. So, a long time passed before the master came back to settle accounts. And it's quite possible that our boy with just one talent was starting to get a little hopeful. He's not coming back. (laughs) He's not going to claim his stuff. And the talent didn't go through the bankers, and so they don't know if he never comes back, if he dies wherever he's out at. They're not going to know. They're not going to have to give it to family. It's it's mine. It's not on the books. But I bet he was surprised when the, the master comes back to settle accounts. Look what happens after he comes to settle accounts with the slothful servant. We'll skip ahead. Look at 24. It says, And he who had received the one talent, he came forward to his master saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scatter no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. Now my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. 
And so the slothful servant, he says, Master, I know that you are a hard man, and so I hid your talent in the ground. Notice verse 26. The master isn't buying it, is he? He's like, oh, you knew that I was a hard man? That's what, you knew that? That would be like me saying to my friend who this sweatshirt belongs to, uh, Tim, I know how much you love your clothes. And so after borrowing it, I didn't want to ruin it. And so I put it in the bottom drawer of my dresser underneath all of my other stuff. You wouldn't buy that. Are you kidding me? You didn't wear it? You borrowed it? And you shoved it away? Uh Uh-huh. Seems a little shady, right? He's trying to steal it, right? On top of that, the master says, you you knew this about me? You, You knew that I was a hard man? You knew that I was shrewd and looking for a profit? If you knew this, then you would have invested. See, he's calling his bluff. It's kind of inconsistent here. He's saying, you wicked and slothful Servant, you're too lazy to work. You're trying to steal from your good master who entrusted you a lot. And the the guy was using the master's possessions for his own personal gain, proving that he was ultimately unfaithful to his master. I mean, even if the slothful servant's excuse was true, like I, I really believe that he was a hard man, it would have been a severe misperception about the master. The master was not a hard man. He did not reap where he did not sow. He is no thief. And so what's the, what's the consequence? Let's read on, verse 28. So take the talent from him and give it, who, uh, give it to him who has ten talents. For everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So, what's the consequence? The consequence of misperceiving the master and as a result, being unfaithful to the master and setting yourself at odds with the master, the consequent is that his beloved talent is what? It's taken away from him. He doesn't have it anymore, right? And then he is cast into utter darkness, separation from his master, separation from his gifts. In verse 30, Jesus uses this phrase that he frequently uses to speak about hell and eternal separation from him, punishment for sin. He says it's the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This terrible place where just punishment will be served for being unfaithful to the master. Now, how do we act like this slothful servant? Well, we can very easily find a lot of security from the talents that are in our lives, can't we? Start to think about some of those things that you've identified, family, money, career, personal gifts. It's very interesting how this thing that he finds his security and this very thing that he's clinging so tightly to, in the end, snatched away from him and it failed him. 
what he wanted for his security completely fail him? Do your possessions, do your personal gifts, do your family, your, your financial security, do they point your heart to God? They should point you to God and, and, and recognize that, hey, the scriptures say every good and perfect gift comes from God. They should point you to God. But do they end up for you taking the place of God in your life? They don't point you to God. They replace God for you. These things are all so fragile. From things that seem really noble to things that are just like, you're just so full of you know, concern with the material things of the world. It's not, it's not the master. There are things that God gives us Perhaps to bless us, perhaps to test us, perhaps to let us use for his purposes. They're all so fragile, though. So Friday night, uh, my wife and Sindel and I went to Western Mass to go to the wake of a a precious little three-year-old baby girl, daughter of some of our friends. Would you guys uh, write it down, make a note to pray for the Allen family and the siblings. And they lost their baby girl, and they grieve. But First Thessalonians 4, 13, they don't grieve as others do. They don't grieve as those without hope. They grieve with hope. They recognize that Psalm 127, children are a gift of the Lord. He gives and he takes away. And as long as we don't allow our children to become our gods, as they tend to do for many people, then you're going to be okay the long haul when they're gone. But if you make them your God, when they're snatched away from you, you're left empty-handed. And you're like, I got nothing. If you make your job your God, when you lose it, you're, I got nothing. Left empty-handed. If you make your, your money your God, when the economy goes south, well, I, got, I got nothing. When you make any relationship, any relationship in your life, your your God, when it's gone, you're left empty-handed. All of these things are are good things that God wants you to use to point to Him and to worship Him and to steward for His glory. They're to be used for Him, but they're not to replace Him. And if you trust in them, they'll be snatched away and you'll be left empty-handed. But if you just see them as these blessings on top of the greatest blessing of a relationship with Jesus. Even when they're gone, I'm still full. I still have hope. I'm still going to make it. It's going to be all right. Now, because this talent was this particular servant's God that he just clung so tightly to, so tight that he, he buried it. I, I, can't, I can't lose this. Have you, have you buried anything so to speak, in your life, there's something that you're just holding so tight to. I cannot lose this. If I lose this, it's over. Like, this is everything to me. What you're saying is, this is my God. This is my cornerstone, as we sing about. This is my everything, as we sing about. My all in all. This is it for me. We replace God with these talents, and we hold it far too close and it kind of gets elevated in our life to, to, to God's status. Now remember, he had the wrong perspective of the master, didn't he? 
And so he had this wrong perspective of the master. He was this hard man. And so he diminished the, the role of the master in his life, and he became unfaithful to the master. And since he diminished the role of the master, he elevated the talent to the role of his master, and it did have mastery over him. Right? If there's something in your life that if you lose it, you can't move forward, it's got mastery over you. And Jesus should be the only one to have that place in your life. And if you think about it, if it's that close to you, you can't utilize it. You can't really enjoy it. Because you're constantly thinking about, if it's gone, I'm done. You ever known that guy with a car? Like, he loves his car so much that he can't even enjoy his car? You know what I'm talking about? Like, he doesn't want to drive through certain places because there might be a kid that will scratch it. So I can't even enjoy i got to park it in the back corner of the parking lot, like triple parked. You know what I mean? Can't, I can't roll through the front with the top down because somebody might touch it. The kids get in the car and say, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't, uh, uh, that's so cool. Don't enjoy that right now. It's, don't touch it, right? It's so close. It's just so tight to you. You can't even enjoy And that's what we do with whatever the talents are in our life, that we hold it so close. We, we, we bury it, so to speak. And we can't really even enjoy it. I just pray that we would loosen up on this stuff and say, no, God is everything. I hold God close and all these other things. I can enjoy them and I can use them to honor him. And they're not so close that I'm constantly thinking about if it's gone, I'm done. If it's gone, I can still survive. I can grieve as one with hope. And there's freedom in that. There's freedom in having the perfect master be your master. And you find yourself enchained to money, enchained to a job, enchained to a relationship. That's not what God wants. God is about freedom. This isn't a message of bondage. This is a message of freedom. You can enjoy talents and you can steward them and utilize them and make much of God through them. Not as gods, but as God glorifiers is what they are now we need to also see that what we do with our talents as you start to think about your own talents what we do with our talents really stems from where our heart is at with God so what you do with your talent stems from where your heart is at with God and so the the big idea of the slothful servant here is not as many people will go about preaching this parable is not, hey, go home with remembering, don't bury your talents. That's so many people just, that's the message, right? Don't bury your talents. No, that's, the, the big idea is understand your master. Understand how good and great your master is. He is this amazing, beautiful, wonderful, perfect, holy, loving, gracious master. And you just want to please him. You don't have to be taught, don't bury your talent. You're just like, I got this, and I got to use it for him. He's so amazing. He's so amazing. Because ultimately, this parable is about faithfulness. It's about faithfulness, that when the master is away, I just want to please him. I want to please him. So as we kind of start to round third base a little bit, I want to move from the slothful, one who was unfaithful, who was wicked, ultimately speaking, it wasn't just this genuine little mistake. He was wicked. He makes it clear. And start to look at the faithful servants. These two people who, 
They had faithfulness to their master in view as really the priority of their hearts. Look with me at 19 through 23. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents, and I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. That's not a hard master, is it? The joy of your master. You want to be around him. You want to be with him for all eternity. Enter into the joy of your master. Verse 22. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Do you see how faithfulness to the master is the priority of their hearts? I just want to be faithful. I want to be faithful to you while you're away. Back up in verse 16, it says, He who had the the five talents, once the master left, it says at once. Those two words are important. At once they went and started trading them. At once they got to work. He was faithful to his master. He's like, I'm on the clock right now. He's gone. I'm still working. I'm not slothful, selfish, lazy. He's faithful. And the same goes for servant two as well. The point isn't who got five and who got two. God entrusts various portions and gifts to various people for various reasons. The point was, what were they going to do with what they were given? Whatever it is. What do they do? They went to work at once, it says. They knew their master would come back. And when he came back, they wanted to be able to honor him. They wanted to present to him a return and a really good return and as much return as absolutely possible. Do you see the difference between the heart of the slothful servant and the heart of the faithful servants? you see the difference in their hearts? Remember the 1990s sitcoms? And every single 1990s sitcom that I could think of, and I literally sat around and started thinking about it, there's always the episode where the teenager finally gains the trust of his parents and they go out of town. Remember these? And they go out of town for the weekend. They leave teenage kid in charge. And the teen throws a party. And the house gets wrecked. And then sure enough, the day before they come, they're like, actually, you know what? We're coming home tonight. Well, you're supposed to come home tomorrow. Remember these? And then they come home, and either they barely got the house cleaned up and ready to go, or they just confess out of guilt, and they're just exhausted. Right? You remember these episodes? And then from the 90s, we move into the new millennium and the beginning of reality television, which seemed just to almost completely replace the sitcom of the 90s. And now, with these shows, it's a little different. Now we have a situation where a family member goes out of town for the weekend, and another family member works with TLC or HGTV to see how much work they could get done in the house while the family member's away. 
Like, I can remodel a whole room, right? Or I can turn my husband's ugly basement into his man cave while he's away, right? And the, you know, the wife's happily working with guys who actually know what they're doing. They're like, here, just hit something with a hammer. Pretend like you're doing something. And they're working, right? And having a good time. And you're working really hard, having a blast because my husband's going to come home and I get to say, man cave. And he gets to go, I love you. You're awesome. The call for us is to move from 1990s sitcom living and to move into 2000s reality television living. To move from how much can I get away with while God is away until he returns and move into how much can I do for him so that when he returns, I get to say, look, it's all for you. I love you. It's all for you. I want to please you, God. And the thought that you have gone away and you left me your spirit and you want to do a great work in me and through me, I want to get to work immediately. I want to leave these doors today and I want to get to work immediately. I want to leverage my talents, whatever they are, for the kingdom, for God. I want to invest my life strategically for the Lord. So if it's my career, I'm going to work hard to make an impact in culture. I'm going to talk to my coworkers about this great God that has so changed my heart. So if it's about my, my marriage and my family, I want to Point to the world, here's a marriage and a family that honors God. I want to raise my children, work hard to raise my children, to know and to love and to serve Jesus. If it's in my personal finances, I'm not pursuing the American dream. I'm pursuing the mission of God. I'm not just hoarding my money to make me more comfortable, to build a bank account for a better retirement fund so that I can go and retire in Florida I want to give to the mission of God because if he shows up when I'm 50, not when I'm 90, I'm going to be really ashamed. My head's going to be held low. And I don't do it out of obligation. I do it out of joy. I get to participate in the work of God. It's my, my personal gifts. I see them not as this is to make me look good for other people so they can think, man, he's awesome. My gifts are so that I can say, look, he's awesome. Jesus is awesome. He's awesome. So find out how God has gifted you, the talents that he has given you. Identify them and grab a hammer and get to work building a man cave, building the kingdom of God. We need to anticipate the day that we're going to see him face to face because it's coming. Are you going to avoid eye contact? Are you going to say, I love you? Check this out. Don't be found wicked and slothful. Uh, God, I didn't really, I don't know if I believe that you were coming back. It's been so long. It's been so long. Instead, be found faithful. A little drywall dust on your face, paint on your shirt because you've been working. Anticipate that day. Train your heart to anticipate that day when you hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. And he gives the exact same statement to the one with five talents and the one with two talents. Because the point isn't who had what and why. Don't compare talents. Stop looking sideways and look up. 
doesn't matter what they have and what you have and comparing. No, it's about him. Look up and anticipate the day that you see him face to face. Point is, what are you going to do with what God has given you? Will you be faithful? Will you be found working? And you who are faithful with little, be entrusted with more. So a lot of great examples of that in Scripture. My mind tends to go to Moses and David, both shepherds, little flock, and their story ends with big flock. Right? People of Israel, kingdom of Israel. They started as those who were faithful in their not-so-glamorous role. Jesus, he wants you to be found faithful. He doesn't want to cast you out. He wants you to be found faithful. That's why he's saying this parable to us. And maybe for you today is the day when you in faith get to turn your heart to Jesus and your allegiance gets to go to Jesus, who is your perfect master, that you see him for who he is, God who came to earth, willingly laid down his life, dying a brutal crucifixion as our substitution. And he resurrected victoriously. And he says, I'm coming again. And he calls you to be faithful. And maybe today, for the first time, you need to place faith in Jesus. You need to say yes to Jesus. I'm going to follow you, Jesus. I want to call you to that. He's the perfect master. He's the one that you want to live your life for. So that everything that you do in life isn't in the end snatched away, but he says, this is amazing what you've done for me in my power of the Holy Spirit. And that enters into eternity as your eternal offering of praise to the Lord. Isn't that cool? So cool. Others of us in the room, we need to be reminded that Jesus doesn't just call us to salvation. He calls us to mission calls us to join his mission. Maybe he's given you one talent or two talents or five talents. It's a lot of talents that he's entrusting you, more than we deserve. It's a huge privilege. So what are we going to do with it? We're going to be a part of the mission of God? Pray that we would. Pray that we together can long for the day when he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Picture that day. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much that you are a good master. You are so good. You have given us so much more than we deserve. You said the day you eat of the fruit, you will surely die. And yet, he didn't immediately, physically just drop dead right there. Every breath is your grace. Every breath is a gift. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. So we want to thank you for these things. You are a good master and it is our desire, God, to live a life that honors you. It is our desire to be faithful. And I know, God, for my friends in this room and for me as well, there are a lot of times when it's hard to remember that you're still, you're still with us. 
You're still there. You're coming back for us, your people. And so we forget about you. And we live as if these are our things to be used for us alone. God, I pray that you would train us to anticipate the day that you're coming back and to work really hard with real focus on the mission and on our Savior. We might honor you. God, I pray that there would be people in this room today whose hearts were previously in the place of the wicked and slothful servant, using things for themselves, hoarding their gifts, not allowing them to point their hearts to you. But today they would see that every good and perfect gift comes from above, that they would see that you are good, that you love them, that you died for them, that you resurrected, that you have a plan for their lives, Lord, and that today they would trust in you. That they would call in the name of the Lord and be saved. Commit them to you. May they cry out to you in this moment. Turn from sin and turn to you. Commit them to you, Father. Continue to do your work as we respond in song and in giving. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.